sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Carlos Santana once said, If you carry joy in your heart, you can heal any moment. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts by way of email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, how do you show your joy to the world? And our theme text is found in Psalm 32, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. So how do you show your joy to the world? And look, we all know the oft-quoted scripture that highlights Jesus' birth. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all. All people. This announcement is stirring for many reasons, not the least of which is the comprehensiveness of its scope. It's a message to all people, and further, it's a message of joy to all people. With all of the wonderful lessons and characters that surround this proclamation, it's easy to, easy to lose sight of the simple presence of joy, great joy. It is easy for us to confuse joy with happiness, but they are not the same. So, what does it mean to live joyfully? How do those involved in the story of Jesus' birth find their joy? And then finally, how do you live yours? And Jonathan, coming up in today's podcast, why does it seem that the holidays can bring out the best and the worst in people? Talk about an opportunity to bring out the worst. In our second segment, we're going to look at Mary having to tell Joseph that she was pregnant and that it was a miracle. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Next, are our kids being raised on material possessions, status, rather than core family values? In our third segment, we're going to feature the story of an old man who was clinging to life as he waited for the birth of Jesus. Kind of places our lives into a whole new light. Is our joy too wrapped up in material gifts? Has the shopping for and receiving of presents completely overtaken the Christmas season? We're going to talk about the very first Christmas gifts, what they cost to give, and the mysterious individuals who gave them. That'll be in segment four. But first, here's the question to begin with. If you were going to reveal the greatest happening on earth, who would you tell? Would you set up a press conference? Would you take to Twitter? Well, let's see what God did in that very circumstance. And Jonathan, as we get into that, first of all, there's a a, a, a quick quote from one of our Christian Questions contributors, Vicky, and it's about joy, and I really, really like it as kind of to set the, the, the pattern, if you will. Joy is an attitude, not a feeling or an emotion. Feeling joy is completely different than feeling happy. So we're going to begin our journey of joy. And remember, it's not 
an emotion, it's an attitude. We're going to begin our journey with the shepherds because they were perhaps the most unlikely chosen ones in this entire story. In many ways, shepherds were invisible to society, for they lived lives of relative solitude. They were away from the daily commerce of the cities as they cared for their precious sheep. And you know what? They were the people, Jonathan, in society that nobody ever really thought about. Well, you're right. You're right. Exactly. Because nobody knew they were there because they were doing a job that they didn't report in every day or anything like that. They stayed with their sheep, and yet they end up playing an incredible, incredible role in the story of the birth of Jesus. So in each segment, Jonathan, we're going to be featuring different individuals or groups of individuals, and each one is going to have a theme for their joy. So we're starting with the shepherds. What is their theme for finding joy? Finding joy in the revealing of a holy promise. So finding joy in the revealing of a holy promise. And when we unpack the depth of that promise, it really, really, really comes to life in a huge, huge way. To just set a sort of a theme for this idea of what this holy promise had to do with, we chose to look at Psalm 67, verses 1 through 4, just as a kind of like a, a, an introduction to this promise. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the people with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth, Selah. Rick, this made me think of... um, a picture of what the day of judgment, not damnation, looks like. Loving salvation, thank God. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, 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 it takes the future of mankind, and for a lot of Christianity, frankly, it turns it on its ear. Because this hasn't happened yet, this prophecy in Psalm 67. And, and it says that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. We haven't seen that yet. And no, we haven't. You know, in verse 4, just reread that first part of verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Can you imagine when the nations will be glad and sing for joy? See, that can, is not even imaginable in the world in which we live. And yet that's the promise that the angels were bringing to the shepherds that night in Bethlehem so, so long ago. So let's... Remember, that's a prophecy that's future, but it began its unfolding with the birth of Jesus. So let's go back to the story of the shepherds, Luke 2, 7 through 14. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, watching over their flock by night. So, you know, it says that they were abiding in the fields. That's where they lived. You know, when you abide somewhere, you literally, that's where you hang out all the time. They would be the last ever to get news of anything. 
And yet now, here, they were the first to get news. We want to go to a, a short clip from our friends, the Skit Guys. These guys, uh, you can find them at skitguys.com. They are a couple of Christians who just want people to understand the Bible, and, and they're funny, and they're always doing these, these, these uh, in, improvisations on different aspects of Scripture. So one of the Skit Guys is playing the part of a shepherd, kind of re- revealing what it was like to be there. And again, a little bit of humor involved, but it just gives you a sense of the, the awe that they would have faced. It was a night like any other night, except for that angel. Ain't seen nothing like it before or since. Us shepherds, we don't get a lot of excitement out there on the pasture. But that angel, it was so bright, so beautiful. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Sam, you've been out in that pasture just a little bit too long. And you'd be correct. But that all changed when that angel came right up to us. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I was like, too late. (laughs) And then the angel said, no, I wrote it down. I need to get this right. Hold on. Um, Okay. The angel said, um, milk, bread, no. That's my grocery list. Then the angel said, I have good news of a great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And we'll come back to him in a few minutes. But, uh, you know, it just gives you a sense of the, of, of the personality, of, of the awe, and the difference of what happened that night. So let's go back to the scripture in Luke chapter 2. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this sign shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So the fulfillment of prophecy, in this case, it required an angelic announcement to the most humble audience of shepherds. And Rick, that's very fitting, uh, because Jesus was the lamb uh, slain before the foundations of the world, and he's the one that takes the sin uh, away from the world. So uh, having shepherds make that announcement uh, is amazing. The baby Jesus would grow to assume the throne of David, once a shepherd himself. So imagine the fear and the thrill and the hope instilled in those shepherds in the still of the night, under the vast expanse of the star lit heavens, comes this glowing message, and it's full of light and full of prophecy and full of, uh, of expectation. And then it was full of music the thundering chorus of heavenly angelic voices singing praise. And verses 13 and 14 bring us to that. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men.
That would have been an amazing thing. Yeah, just an amazing thing to see that in the heavens, the angels singing. You know, humility, and that's what is depicted by the shepherds, does not preclude heavenly celebration. It provokes it. So let's get back to the shepherds. Let's go back to our friends, the skit guys, and their depiction of this one particular shepherd relaying the, the experience of hearing the message from the angel. And then the angel said, he's lying in a manger wrapped in cloth. Go find him. Okie dokie. So we're all sitting around, and then one of the shepherds, I think it was Steve, he's like, hey, what are we doing? Let's get out of here. Let's go to Bethlehem. So we hightailed it out of there, and we found that beautiful baby. I'll tell you, I was a different man after that. God chose me. Nobody's ever chosen me for anything. I'll never forget what that angel said, though. The angel said, I bring good news to all people. That means you, too. You know, it's touching when you think about it. He says, I've never been chosen for anything. And that's the way a shepherd's life would have been. So you get the sense of the magnitude of this message. Let's go to Luke 2, uh, 15 through 20. When the angels had gone away from there into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. See, these shepherds knew that they were part of something much, much bigger than they had ever conceived to be possible. I mean, if you think of a shepherd and what they would have thought of as big is, wow, what if I had twice as many sheep? I mean, this is big for them, for anyone. They acted in faith, and they acted right away, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, that baby laying quietly in the manger, which is a feeding trough. Think of the tranquility and the peace of the moment as they cast their eyes on their future Savior. They were lowly shepherds, and this, this was Jesus, the one who would save the world. Back to Luke. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. To go and see him was one thing. To take this miracle and publish it amongst the people, that would have been another. I mean, they're just shepherds. Who's going to believe them? But they didn't care about that. They went and they told everyone. Even though they're just shepherds, they were emboldened to speak out about the stunning event and the miraculous announcement that they had been part of. They stepped out of what would have normally been comfortable because there was a message that was so much bigger than them, they could not contain it. Luke two nineteen and 20. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Those shepherds went back to their flocks, but I don't think they went back to their lives. How could they? The joy of their experience and the message would have changed them. So, Jonathan, in each segment, we're going to identify a theme of finding joy. So, for the shepherds, what was their finding joy theme? 
Finding joy in the revealing of a holy promise requires humility. And that is to be in a position to even receive the message. We can't receive God's messages without humility. What else? Finding joy in the revealing of a holy promise requires action. And that action is to do something with the message. It's great to hear it, but what do you do with it? What else? Finding joy in the revealing of a holy promise requires stability. You know, to keep the message with you even after the initial excitement is ended. And that's what the shepherds showed us that they did by going out and proclaiming things and, uh, and, and, and being worthy messengers for the message they were given to deliver. We're so privileged to have the Bible and to see so many of God's promises already revealed with more to come. Does our, uh, um, so, so Jonathan, what are our questions then in terms of our joy? Well, Rick, does our joy in the revealed will of God show? Or do we walk as one who has seen a great light? Are you willing to answer those questions about your own joy? It is so amazing that the greatest announcement in the world's history was made to a group of lowly shepherds. The shepherd's example of joy is inspiring. But what about Joseph and Mary? What provoked their joy? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. For Joseph and Mary, their joy came from many sources, but let's just focus on one. How does one respond to that which is impossible? What they were asked to experience was unreasonable, at least from a human standpoint. So what do you do when you're tasked with such odds? What do you do? You respond. That's what you do. Uh, Jonathan, just a quick quote from an article called Observations on Joy. It's from a UK-based website, www.psychologies.co.uk. Joy and happiness are wonderful feelings to experience, but are very different. Joy is more consistent and is cultivated internally. It comes when you make peace with who you are, why you are, and how you are, whereas happiness tends to be externally triggered and is based on other people, things, places, thoughts, and events. So as we go through today's podcast and look at the experiences of those that surrounded the birth of Jesus. Remember that their joy really was cultivated from the inside out. They were responding to things. It wasn't emotional. It was something much deeper than that. So now in this segment, we're going to focus on Mary and Joseph's theme for finding joy. What was it? Finding joy in responding to the most daunting challenges. And as a psalm theme for this segment, let's go to Psalm 5, 11, and 12. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them sing for joy and make your shelter them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. You know, the good news here is that when we respond to the hardest challenges, we are promised protection. And and I love this verse, Jonathan, in relation to Joseph and Mary, because it says, if you take refuge in the Father, 
you know, you can sing for joy because he, you, he will shelter you. He will protect you. And Joseph and Mary were way, way out on a limb with this whole experience that they were about to undergo. It was but, com- good. But they were the right people and God knew it and he could trust that they would follow through. And, you know, that really, really, really is the key. So for the young woman, Mary, the events that were unfolding around her were world-changing. The angel Gabriel had recently appeared to Zacharias to announce the coming birth of John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. See, Gabriel's greeting was one of great favor, like, Mary, you're favored before God. And her reaction, though, is confused. I mean, because, first of all, who expects an angel to come visit? Nobody. And then who expects an angel to come visit and say that to you? Again, nobody. (laughs) Right. And if that's not enough, let's hear what the angel continued to say. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Now think about this. Questions would have begun to swirl around in Mary's head at this message that he spoke because it was so unexpected, it was so unlikely, and frankly, it was so unbelievable. Have a son and he's going to be great? He's going to be called the son of the Most High? And, and how is it that he could be a king? They're under Roman rule. There's no way that he could be a king. His kingdom will have no end. That's what the angel said. How is this even sensible, let alone possible? And then, I'm sure Mary started to think and then stopped because there was one question, one question that needed answering above everything else. The other things, okay, you could work through with faith. But this next question was powerful and very, very deep. Mary said to the angel, How can this be? since I am a virgin. So how can that be? And Gabriel did not hesitate. And here is the angel's answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. You know, and it's so important that the angel said those last words, because that would take it all as you're doubting and you're doubting, you're doubting, and then the angel says, I know what you're thinking, but nothing is impossible with God. So finding joy in our response to the daunting challenges of life often comes down to one or more pivotal moments, and that's what happens in everybody's life. For Mary, The answer to the impossible question was a plain and unflinching proclamation from a messenger of God himself. See, now Mary had everything that she 
needed. We'll go to Luke one thirty-eight. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary's joy, as reflected in her response to the world-changing dilemma, what was it? Her response was to listen, to clarify, and to absorb. Her conclusion was to submit fully to the will of God. Mary's joy was on many levels. She took all things to heart. She, upon visiting Elizabeth in Luke 1, 46 to 56, expounded her awe of God's providence, and then she raised and then followed Jesus. So Mary responded and stepped up, and she had confidence in that which was not possible. And we just want to play one verse from Silent Night, sung by four-year-old Claire Ryan. You know, we always think about that in relation to Jesus, you know, you know, for the child to sleep in heavenly peace. But what about Mary being able to sleep in heavenly peace with such a miraculous thing happening to her and, and being good with it and being able to accept it and to be able to be at peace with it? But, you know, that's a tough place to get to. See, now the immediate joy of responding to this dilemma would be tested and it would be tested immediately. Well, Rick, what would she say to Joseph when they next saw each other? I mean, folks, think about that just for a minute. So she sees Joseph, and Joseph sees her. Remember, they're engaged. Hey, dear, how are you? Great. How have you been the last couple of days? I've been fine. How are you? And, you know, you know, Joseph asks her, how are you? And she says, oh, you know, I've been fine. No typical day. You know, I did have an interesting visitor come. An angel named Gabriel came and, and told me I'm pregnant. But it's all good. It's okay. God said it's okay. We're good. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, what do you do if you're Joseph? Because, come on, this doesn't happen ever. So for Joseph, this would have been a unique and really fearful problem. Mary's explanation, though sincere, was just beyond believable. What should he do? We'll go to Matthew chapter 1 to get a little bit of Joseph's dilemma and solution. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So Joseph responded to this great dilemma with compassion and concluded that he should shield Mary from disgrace. Because, look, you you can't be pregnant without 
having sex. Okay, it just can't happen. So he's heartbroken, but he wants to shield her from the public disgrace that would have been all over her. So his care for her is evidence. Let's continue. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So God saw fit to give Joseph a lengthy, detailed explanation of what was happening, because the depth of the problem required a confidence that was just as deep so that he could stand up and do exactly the right thing. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. So he awakes with a start and thinks for a moment, this was not some far-fetched explanation at all. Rather, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. And not just any prophecy, but the prophecy of the Messiah that generations and generations of Jews had looked forward to. Mary, he's thinking, my espoused is carrying the Savior of all, and I, Joseph, would have the opportunity and privilege to raise him to manhood. You know, and I can only think that, glory, that, that Joseph would think glory to God. And wh- how does he show his care? Let's continue to read. But kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. See, now that last detail, I think, often goes unnoticed. But by keeping her a virgin, it shows his reverence for God and for his new wife. He had this incredible reverence. So it shows that he wasn't just merely accepting of what was happening. He was embracing what was happening. He was chosen to be dad to the Messiah. His naming the child in accordance with the angel's instruction verifies his complete acquiescence to what was a once-in-a-lifetime altering dilemma, and he rose above the dilemma. And, And just by way of comparison, let's go to our friends, the skit guys, one more time. This is the other guy. This is Tommy. And he's sharing a, uh, in one of their skits, you can find them at skitguys.com. In one of their skits, he's sharing a personal experience that helped him to understand the power of what was happening here. So true story, uh, Christmas 2001, my son Hudson was recruited to play the baby Jesus in the Christmas program. And uh, I was sitting on the front pew and um, everything's great. I mean, it was just fine. And then this teenage girl comes out playing Mary and she's, she's holding my son and, uh, and it just hit me, right? That's what, that's what God did. That, that he put his son in the arms of a a teenage girl, knowing full well that his son would eventually end up on a cross. And I just, I wept. I couldn't, I couldn't even talk. And I realized that if it were up to me, mankind would be out of luck. Because I don't, 
I won't ever love anyone enough to give up my only son. But thank God he did. You know, and it just puts it in perspective, the power of what was happening here on so many levels. And Mary had this incredible opportunity, and so did Joseph. Joseph's joy in response to his life-altering dilemma was what? Really, the only history we have of Joseph is his obedience to the angelic interventions that took place before Jesus was born and in his early years and the incident when Jesus was 12. We conclude that his joy was in obedience and responsibility, for Joseph was directly responsible for the welfare of the boy Jesus. Joseph was the one man chosen to father and protect that boy, the Messiah. He must have been some special man to be the man to do that. What a privilege, Rick. It's an incredible privilege, and it came through the most difficult circumstances that he had to rise above. And you can think about the whispers and things that would have gone on for their entire lives. And he didn't care because the privilege, the joy, was greater than all of that. Proverbs 23, 24. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. And it's just such a beautiful depiction of what Joseph may have really relied upon in his, in his experience. So, so, Jonathan, what was Joseph's uh, finding joy theme? Finding joy in responding to the most daunting challenges requires honesty. Honesty to realize how, just how overwhelming the dilemma is. And this goes for both Joseph and Mary. What else? Finding joy in responding to the most daunting challenges requires trust. As a byproduct of faith, to firmly grab hold of that which will guide us through. You know, faith is important, but trust is the byproduct of faith. It's the next step that makes faith deeply personal. Both Joseph and Mary had to grab hold of that. Finding joy in responding to the most daunting challenges requires courage. Courage to see it through as the initial challenges are only the beginning. And you think about it. Again, just just quickly mentioned before that, you know, there would have been whisperings. And even when Jesus was was in his ministry, there were hints from the Pharisees at, at his, quote, illegitimacy. So you get this sense that it followed them through their entire lives, and yet they were faithful to something big and powerful because they were willing to acquiesce, to be just mere tools in the hands of God, in his incredible plan. I mean, you think about that, it really is an amazing, amazing thing. We always think of Joseph and Mary as being humble and privileged, but they were really courageous as well. So joy can come from a revealing, and it can come by way of our response. How else do we find it? As we keep this podcast conversation going, this very brief break allows us to tell you more about one of your hosts. Rick, aside from being a student of the Bible for nearly 50 years, did you know he only drinks decaf coffee? Can you imagine if that detailed, passionate about extensive research in the Bible mind added caffeine to the equation? Jonathan would probably never get a word in. So thank you, Rick, for staying away from caffeine. As a listener, you never have to worry about making your voice heard. We love to answer your questions and respond to your comments at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Let's throw it back to Rick and Jonathan. 
Sometimes great joy can come from our own effort toward recognition. Looking behind us and recognizing that the plan of God has unfolded. Looking around us and recognizing that the plan of God is unfolding. And looking before us to anticipate the plan of God continuing to unfold. So we need to be essentially on our toes to recognize those things and and Jonathan, just a quick uh, a quick response to that that little spot there. Um, yeah, can you imagine me on decaf? No, you're naturally caffeinated. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of funny, but uh, it's so true. I mean, I think I talk fast now. I sound like Alvin the Chipmunk if I drink coffee. It's really bad. <laughs> of course, some people say I sound that way. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> back back to the story. You know, recognition can be tricky. Because it does not come when we necessarily want it to. It only comes when circumstances are right and our eyes are open. you got to have both pieces. And our next example of joy was ready, and he had been ready for a really long time. So we're going to now focus on another example of joy surrounding the birth of Jesus. And we're going to Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 35, to highlight this individual. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. So this reminds us that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are not given special entitlements or dispensation. They're simply given opportunity to show their faith in God by obedience to the law. They weren't allowed to be above the law to skip things that other Jews had to do. So on the eighth day, Jesus the baby was brought to be circumcised because that was the proper thing to do in accordance with the law. Verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. So, Jonathan, let's pause here for a moment, and let's get a little sense of who Simeon is, because this is the only time he's mentioned in Scripture. So let's go to uh, one of commentators, Albert Barnes, to just get a little bit more background on Simeon. Nothing is certainly known of him, but what is, is here related? He was an aged man of distinguished piety and reputation, and was anxiously expecting the coming of the Messiah. Such an old man is peculiarly honorable. Not No spectacle is more sublime than an old man of piety, of high character, looking for the appearing of the Lord, and patiently waiting for the time to come when he may be blessed with the sight of his Redeemer. So it just gives you a sense of the incredible respect that those around would have had for this old man, Simeon. So again, we want to highlight a theme for finding joy. What is Simeon's theme? Finding joy in the recognition of God's providence and plan. So joy in the recognition and providence of God's plan. Let's continue reading in Luke chapter 2. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, here was a man who had not forgotten hope, who had not allowed doubt or fear to rule his heart. He rather lived in anticipation and expectation of God's gift. 
Who knows how long he waited? And you think of the context of being under Roman rule, there was a lot going on, and he just waited and waited and waited. Continue. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. You know, being aged, the most important thing Simeon looked forward to in his life was a glimpse, just a glimpse of God's gift of redemption. So he sees the baby and he takes this baby in his arms and he knows that his life, Simeon's life, is now complete because in his arms he held the hope of the world. Nine months earlier, Mary referred to herself as God's bondservant as well. She was at the beginning of her service. Simeon referred to himself in that verse you just read, Jonathan, as, his, as God's bondservant. He was at the end of his service. So why was he ready to depart? Let's continue reading. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things that were being said about him. So what we see from these verses is Simeon recognizes the full import of redemption. He says, out loud, I have seen your salvation with my own eyes. And he's saying about Jesus that he is the light that reaches even to all of the Gentiles. He is a light that's the glory of Israel. This light is now just a baby. But this baby is the hope of the world. I mean, you could, you could feel the joy that Simeon was speaking. And he continues. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You know, that almost seems like a mood killer. I mean, here you're talking about the glory and the light and reaching the Gentiles and all. Why talk about great sorrow when you're celebrating the greatness of life unfolding before you? I think the answer to that is Simeon knew. He knew that with any great accomplishment comes great sacrifice. And sometimes it is heartbreaking sacrifice. So we look at Simeon and his incredible joy, that, that, that intensity that he finally sees his Savior. What's his theme for joy? Finding joy in the recognition of God's providence and plan requires patience. What, what we seek to identify does not simply appear because we want it to. You know, you've heard the saying, and it's almost trite, patience is a virtue. Patience, you wonder how many years Simeon waited for this. But I imagine it was a really long time because it was the test of his faith. So the patience to wait for God unfolding whatever it is he's unfolding. What else? Finding joy in the recognition of God's providence and plan requires discipline. 
Okay, discipline, to be willing to stand at the ready for long periods of quietness. There's no greater discipline than having to stand ready and quiet. Ready and quiet. And what else? Finding joy in the recognition of God's providence and plan requires faith. The surety that God will deliver what he has promised. Simeon never flinched in that surety. He never, ever, ever flinched. It really is a powerful, powerful thing. So for our joy to be full and to shine out, we need the humility of the shepherds, the courage of Mary and Joseph, and we need the patience of Simeon. This is not necessarily easy in the context of our world and its appearance-based judgments. See, Christmas needs to look perfect, be perfect. Well, let's think about that again. This next story is especially for the Martha types who are listening, you know, and, and the idea of making things perfect because it's Christmas and it's just got to be perfect. Jonathan, there's a, there's a short poem slash story by called If by Sharon James that, that we'd like you to read. If I decorate my house perfectly with lovely plaid bows, strands of twinkling lights and shiny glass balls, but do not show love to my family. I'm just another decorator. If I slave away in the kitchen, baking dozens of Christmas cookies, preparing gourmet meals, and arranging a beautiful adorned table at mealtime, but did not show love to my family, I'm just another cook. If I work at the soup kitchen, carol in the nursing home, and give all that I have to charity, but do not show love to my family, it profits me nothing. If I trim the spruce with shimmering angels and crocheted snowflakes, attend a myriad of holiday parties, and sing in the choir's cantata, but do not focus on Christ, I have missed the point. Love stops the cooking to hug the child. Love sets aside the decorating to kiss the husband. Love is kind, though harried and tired. Love doesn't envy another home that has coordinated Christmas china and table linens. Love doesn't yell at the kids to get out of your way. Love doesn't give only to those who are able to give in return, but rejoices in giving to those who can't. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Video games will break. Pearl necklaces will be lost. Golf clubs will rust. But giving the gift of love will endure. You know, she touches on something very, very, very important here. And you know, she's obviously doing this from the standpoint of 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 uh, a woman making her house perfect, so it's got that perfect look, and you know, and and I get that, but her point is really really important. What's why do you do that? What what is the underlying theme that we're supposed to be thinking of and celebrating here? Well, Rick, it's our joy in our hearts. It's not don't touch the decorations. You know, <laughs> stay away. Get back. Keep the dog in the cattle. Wait, we, we can't mess this up. 
Well, you're right. You're right. You know, and, and you know, it's, it's almost like, okay, you set the table and you decorate it perfectly and the food looks just right. It's like you almost don't want anybody to eat it because it looks so good, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and, and but the idea is really simple. And, and folks, for us, we live now in a time of great, great selfishness. We live in a time of great comparisons person to person. And, you know, it's so easy to take the, 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 the picture and put it out to your friends and, you know, you put it on Facebook of what your Christmas table looks like or this or your Christmas tree or, the, or this or that. And, and we compare. But how do you compare the content of someone's heart? You can't find that in a picture. You can't find that in a table setting. You can't find that in the de- decorations on a tree. Our Christmas joy in the midst of all of this stuff needs to come back to what Simeon was focusing on. He quietly, patiently, reverently waited for years, undoubtedly for years, so that he could be ready to receive the Messiah. And you think about this, Jonathan, for a second, because I want to stay with Simeon for a few minutes here. He's waiting his whole life for what? To get one glimpse of the Savior of the world. Because all he does, think about this, waiting years and years and years, and, and, and God's Spirit brings him to the, the temple at the right, uh, the, 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 not the, the synagogue at the right time, and he's there, and he holds the baby, and he proclaims who the baby is, and now he says, I can die now. So all of that waiting was for a two-minute experience. And you think, wait, does that make sense? And the answer is yes. And the reason it makes so much sense is because that's what the meaning of joy is. That's what the true meaning of, quote, Christmas, unquote, is, is the recognition of who Jesus is. You know, there there are some Christians that get, get a little bit, tied up in knots about celebrating Christmas. And one of the things that occurred to me this morning in our, in our Sunday services was how many scriptures, how many chapters are written about the preparation for the birth of Jesus and the birth of Jesus and the things that happened right after. I mean, it, it, it'll take you an hour to read it all. So we're told all of this detail so we can seek it out and hold on to it and make it real in our lives. Such an important thing. And so, you know, and Jonathan, one other detail that I just wanted to, to throw out. I was talking to you about it before the, the, the podcast, and then we'll, we'll move on. But, um, you know, John the Baptist was born to Elizabeth and Zacharias. And, you know, we touched on that, you know, in some of the scriptures earlier. And Elizabeth and Zacharias were old. They were beyond childbearing years, and they were chosen to be the parents of John the Baptist. And you think about the symbolism She's old, she's beyond childbearing years, her, her, that part of her life is over. And I think John the Baptist represents the last prophet of the Old Testament, because the Old Testament was that which was, which was dying away. Mary, on the other hand, was a young, vibrant woman who had never even been with a man, 
and she is chosen to be the mother of Jesus. And it shows the Old Testament with the final prophet and then the birth of Jesus, who is the New Testament, who is the gospel, who is the good news of great joy to be all people, coming to this young, young, vibrant woman and the power and the life that just springs out of all of that. That's the joy. What a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture. You know, that's what we need to be focusing on and thinking about when we look at this whole Christmas season and all the things that, 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 that come our way. We need to be able to swim through all of the stuff and find that joy of what it all truly, really, really means. No matter what's bothering you, no matter what's in your way, no matter what's happening, no matter what trials and difficulties you may have, no matter what uh, competition you may feel to, to do better and all of this and, and the gift giving and the, and, the, and the tree decorating and all of that, stop and just embrace like Simeon for a few moments the Savior of the world. You know, we think about that and God using Simeon to make public display of Jesus was so wise because no one's going to argue with the old guy. There are the humble shepherds, the courageous Joseph and Mary, and the patient Simeon. Who's next? Do you feel disconnected at your local church? Are you struggling to find a good church or a pastor you like in your local area? We hope you're finding our podcast helpful as you take the next steps in your Christian walk. We're not here to replace the brick-and-mortar ministry, but Christian Questions can be considered as the new way to think about church because we're cutting through all the online commentary noise with a deep dive into traditional scriptures and how they apply in today's seemingly untraditional world. Thanks for listening at ChristianQuestions.com, through our app, and your favorite podcast channels. Keep your great comments coming. We always welcome your feedback. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan as we go deeper in our discussion. Traditional depictions of nativity scenes show the three wise men there in the stable with Joseph, Mary, Jesus, and the animals. Actually, they came around to Bethlehem much later, and the scriptures say that they found Jesus and his family in a house, and it was there that they worshipped him and gave him gifts. So, that, that's again, that's something that may be surprising to, 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 to many, but that's, that's a scriptural account. And it gives you a clearer sense of what actually really happened. So in this segment, we're going to focus on the wise men. And so, Jonathan, what's the wise men's theme regarding joy? Finding joy in reaching out with resolve across nations to pay respect to the future king of all humanity. You think about that. Reaching out with resolve across nations. They went a long way, as we will see, to pay respect to the king of all humanity. But first of all, who were these wise men? Let's go back to Alfred Barnes for some, uh, Barnes for some uh, commentary on that. Wise men. The original word here is magio, from which comes our word magician, now used in a bad sense, but not so in the original. The persons here denoted were philosophers, priests, or astronomers. They dwelt chiefly in Persia and Arabia. They were the learned men of the Eastern nations, devoted to astronomy, to religion, and to medicine. They were held in high esteem by the Persian court, were admitted as counselors, and followed the camps in war to give advice. It is known, it is unknown whether they came from Persia or Arabia. Both countries might be denoted by the word East. 
that is east from Judea. The bottom line is they came a long way. So let's take a, a few minutes and just focus on these wise men because they teach us some pretty amazing things, uh, not only about fortitude, but again about that theme of joy that we're looking to develop here. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to take in pieces verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Okay, let's stop right there, because already we see a resolve and strength of character that would be entirely foreign today. You know, they traveled hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles for one purpose, and we're going to develop that purpose as we go. But that's the kind of fortitude you're just not going to see in this world, because if I can't get it delivered overnight by Amazon, I'm upset, you know? So, you know, <laughs> we have to get over that and look at the the incredible development that comes through having to work hard for something. So let's, let's develop that again. Matthew chapter 2, uh, now we're going on picking up with verse 2. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what was written by the prophet. And then they go on and quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2. So added to the resolve of these wise men was a deep reverence for God's plan. They came all that way, not really knowing where they were to go, um, and it showed their faith and their determination. They knew they would somehow figure it out. They didn't have a GPS, okay? They had a star in heaven. A curious side note, the shepherds of Bethlehem, remember we talked about them earlier, they knew more of the events of Jesus' birth than the religious leaders of the time. The religious leaders knew the prophecy, but there's no indication that they knew that he was actually born. Continuing in Matthew chapter 2. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. So obviously they didn't know the politics of a place and time, and they proceeded thinking, they're thinking everyone would want to reverence Jesus as they had set out to do, Herod included. Their hearts were pure, and their mind was set. Let's continue in uh, Matthew 2. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, and these three gifts that the wise men presented were really, really valuable and they were really, really significant. They represented something special. Jonathan, what, what was that? Well, Rick, the gold represented obedience and consecration. Okay, that, that obedience and that full giving of oneself to the will of God. What did the frankincense represent? Well, it, it represented praise, devotion, heart adoration, 
appreciation and gratitude. Okay, so and and then the myrrh. What 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 did that represent? It represented submission, a willingness for service to the extent of bitterness and suffering. So it really represents the life that Jesus was going to live, those three gifts. So let's continue now reading in uh, Matthew chapter 2. Verse 12. And having been warned by God in a dream, now not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. You know, this is interesting. They're warned in a dream. Now, they have been following this star. Being warned in a dream is a far more personal kind of warning. You see God's blessing upon them uh, in, this, in, this, uh, in this warning. The blessing of God was upon them, and they were directed away from Herod for their own safety, and especially for Jesus' safety. Think of the overwhelming joy they would have had on their return journey rehearsing God's providence in their minds and speaking of the tender child that they had traveled so far to honor. So, Jonathan, let's get to what is the wise men's theme for their joy. Well, this joy in reaching out requires foresight. Okay, it requires traveling hundreds of miles out of your own land is no easy task. You have to have the foresight to say, there's something that I'm going that needs to be accomplished. What else does it require? Oh, this joy in reaching out requires tenacity. For accomplishing such a mission means unrelenting effort. You cannot stop halfway and say, okay, I'm tired now. Let's, you know, take a vacation. You're on a timeline. You have no idea what, what this is, but you know that you have to be tenaciously focused on this, on, on, on this accomplishment. And what's the third thing it required? Well, this joy in reaching out requires reverence. Okay. You risk your life and limb so you can worship and praise and give, gift, give gifts. And this also, Jonathan, reminds me of Simeon, because Simeon waited his whole life for a few minutes. These three wise men travel on foot, by camel, however they did it, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles for one visit to drop off gifts, and then they go home. Imagine, though, the incredible joy that they had with all of that. One last detail from their travels, and that's in Matthew two thirteen. Now when the Magi had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So the coming of the Magi brought honor and it also brought a tip off to Herod, who would have eventually found out about Jesus at, at some point. But the beauty of this is that their gifts would have adequately funded the escape and hiding of Jesus' family in Egypt. And Rick, this journey is about a hundred miles that Joseph and Mary undertook to get to Egypt. So they had a long way to go with this small, small child, and yes. now they had the the wherewithal to make that journey. And again, the, the the Joseph has a dream; he's obedient, and they go. For uh, it just gives you a sense of the power of of the, in, in, of, of God in the lives of all of these people. For us, the giving of gifts does not have to be quite so dramatic. We can give with subtlety, with kindness, every day of our lives. There is no greater joy than that which is derived from bringing light or peace or aid into the lives of those in need. 
We are unsure of the authorship of a story that we want to read to you. It's a very, very touching story. It's been around for several years. Uh, we're going to call it The Red Marbles. <clears throat> I was at the corner grocery store buying some early potatoes. I noticed a small boy, delicate of bone and feature, ragged but clean, hungrily apprising a basket of freshly picked green peas. I paid for my potatoes, but was also drawn to the display of fresh green peas. I'm a pushover for creamed peas and new potatoes. Pondering the peas, I couldn't help overhearing the conversation between Mr. Miller, the store owner, and the ragged boy next to me. Hello, Barry. How are you today? Hello, Mr. Miller. Fine, thank you. Just admiring them peas. They sure look good. They are good, Barry. How's your ma? Fine. Getting stronger all the time. Good. Anything I can help you with? No, sir. Just admiring them peas. Would you like to take some home, asked Mr. Miller. Uh, no, sir. Got nothing to pay for them with. Well, what have you to trade me for some of those peas? All I got is my prized marble here. Is that right? Let me see it, said Mr. Miller. Here it is. She's a dandy. I can see that. Hmm. Only thing is, this one is blue, and I sort of go for red. Do you have a red one like this at home, the store owner asked. Uh, not exactly, but almost. Tell you what. Take this sack of peas home with you, and next trip this way, let me look at that red marble, Mr. Miller told the boy. Sure will. Thanks, Mr. Miller. Mrs. Miller, who had been standing nearby, came over to me. With a smile, she said, There are two other boys like him in our community, and all three are very, are very poor of very poor circumstances. Jim just loves to bargain with them for peas, apples, tomatoes, or whatever. When they come back with their red marbles, and they always do, he decides he doesn't like red after all, and he sends them home with a bag of produce for a green marble or an orange one, and when they come on their next trip to the store. I left the store smiling to myself, impressed with this man. A short time later, I moved to Colorado, but I never forgot the story of this man, the boys, and their bartering for marbles. Several years went by, each more rapid than the previous. Just recently, I had occasion to visit some old friends in that Idaho community, and while I was there, I learned that Mr. Miller had died. They were having his visitation that evening, and knowing my friends wanted to go, I agreed to accompany them. Upon arrival at the mortuary, we fell into line to meet the relatives of the deceased and offer what words of comfort we could. Ahead of us in line were three young men. One was in an army uniform, and the other two wore nice haircuts, dark suits, and white shirts, all very professional-looking. They approached Mrs. Miller, standing composed and smiling by her husband's casket. Each of the young men hugged her and kissed her on the cheek, spoke briefly with her, and moved on to the casket. Her misty light blue eyes followed them as, one by one, each young man stopped briefly, placed his own warm hand over the cold, pale hand in the casket. Each left the mortuary, awkwardly wiping his eyes. Our turn came to meet Mrs. Miller. I told her who I was and reminded her of the story from those many years ago and what she had told me about her husband's bartering for marbles. With her eyes glistening, she took my hand and led me to the casket. Those three young men who just left were the boys I told you about. They just told me how they appreciated the things Jim traded them. Now at last, when Jim could not change his mind about color or size, they came to pay their debts. 
We've never had a great deal of wealth in this world, she confided, but right now, Jim would consider himself the richest man in Idaho. With loving gentleness, she lifted the lifeless fingers of her deceased husband. Resting underneath were three exquisitely shined red marbles. You know, and Jonathan, when you think about giving, it's stories like that that give you a sense of the joy of life. You know, and, and in this story, you know, Mr. Miller is this man who just, who just wants to bring joy and, and happiness to others. And oh, and he did in a big way, Rick, and, big way. And he did it quietly, and he did it with a smile, and he did it by, by, by engaging and befriending these children. And, and folks, again, what's your joy? How do you show your joy to those around you? How do we respond in the way that particular, in this, in this story, this Mr. Miller responded? He had a joy for giving, and it showed. Let's look at a, a scriptural example, the Apostle Paul's parting words to his bro- the brotherhood at Ephesus. This is in Acts chapter 20, verses 32 to 35. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So you have, you know, that, that story, that, 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 that uh, the story of Mr. Miller is reflecting really the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And he is leaving the, the, the brotherhood at, at Ephesus. And he says, you know, I'm not coming back. And, and there's, a, there's a prophecy that says he's going to be bound and taken to Jerusalem. And so it's a very emotional parting. And, and part of his parting words are, remember what Jesus said to us. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So he's setting them up. You know, they're feeling that they're, they're, they're going to have a great loss in losing their, their fellowship with the Apostle Paul. But he's saying, replace the loss with the grace of giving. And so, folks, we, when we look at our lives and our experiences and all of the things that we have in front of us, the joy that we find in Christmas, again, is not emotional, but is that sense of being able to just give from the heart of, of having received great blessing and in turn letting the blessing not settle in with us, but pass through us and go on to others. That's what the Apostle Paul talked about, and that's what those three wise men did. You know, you wonder if they became followers of Jesus later. Who knows? You know, you, you don't know. But you know that they spent probably months of their lives on this journey so they could bow down and worship the king and then go home. What a great example of joy expressed in the lives uh, of those who are out there just doing what they think is so, so, so important. And it was. Think about it. Those three wise men really showed us what dedication to Jesus is supposed to look like. So now that we have the three wise men and their example, how do we show our joy to the world? 
We have a simple yet powerful request for you. Can you think of someone who'd enjoy listening to this podcast? Send them a text message right now. Tell them to check out our Christian Questions podcast. That's one of the great ways to spread the word. Thank you for sharing our weekly conversation with every single person you know. Well, who you want to tell is still up to you. Thanks for texting and listening. Let's go back to Rick and Jonathan as we take a closer look at our topic. As we think about the incredible gift that Jesus was and is to us, and we think about the joy of those surrounding his arrival as a baby, we really need to walk away with something concrete regarding our own joy. It should be real. It should be developed. It should be observed. We need to focus on putting those things in place. So, Jonathan, let's just kind of, for the next two or three minutes. Let's just review the experiences and the individuals that we've spoken about and, and just review what, how they found their joy. First of all, we have the shepherds. And what was their theme? Well, they were uh, requiring hum- – well, their theme was finding joy in the revealing of a holy promise. And, Rick, they did it three ways – it required humility, required action, and required stability. So when you think about that, for us, let's take what they did. Let's take how they had to respond from their lowly positions. And they, of anyone, they were not expected to do anything except shepherd sheep. And yet here they are given this incredible, incredible opportunity. And they were given it because they were humble. But it didn't stop with just, okay, you're humble and you're given something. You have to act on it. And you have to have the stability of, to act, of acting and then continuing to act on what it was that you were given. And those lowly shepherds were terrific examples for us on humility and action and stability. And then we went with, through Joseph and Mary. What was their theme for joy? Finding joy in responding to the most daunting challenges. And Rick, that required honesty, trust, and courage. And I cannot, I am in awe of both Joseph and Mary in their ability to respond to something so out of the ordinary with such grace and such dedication uh, and, and such trust and such courage. We need to take that to heart. Go ahead. And Rick, of course, Israel, the women were in expectation of Messiah. Will it be my son? Will it be my son? They had no idea how God was going to do it. Yeah, and it came, came to somebody very unlikely. Absolutely, and in a way that no one would have expected. <laughs> but, you know, you think, you think that, and then you go back to the Old Testament prophecies that says a virgin shall conceive. So, you know, it is exactly in fulfillment of what was in the Old Testament, but in, it was, you're right, in a way that nobody could have pictured actually really happening. Yeah. So we also have Simeon's theme, the old man. What was his theme? Finding joy in the recognition of God's providence and plan. And that required patience, discipline, and faith. The quietness of waiting. The quietness of discipline in place, standing at the ready. And the faith that said, God's will will be accomplished. I must wait to see it. And then finally, the wise men that we just talked about, what was their theme? Finding joy and reaching out with resolve across nations to pay respect to the future king of all humanity. And Rick, that required foresight, tenacity, and reverence. 
They weren't Jews. They weren't of the chosen people. But they showed incredible foresight and tenacity and reverence that many of those of the chosen people weren't showing at that time. That's right. And it just gives you the sense that, and to me, with the wise men, it's the reverence that really stands out to me. I think the reverence drove everything else. So it really gives you just this big, big sense. So we've, we've talked about these examples, and folks, hopefully we can see our joy coming out of these characteristics in our own life by using their examples. So the next example I want to talk about, duh, is Jesus himself. What was his theme for joy? Well, Rick, honoring his father throughout his whole life was his theme. Jesus had a race to run. We too have a race to run, and we strive to walk in his footsteps. Hebrews 12, we'll take verses 1 through 3 in pieces. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, you know, Jonathan encapsulate what you know our, our race is not easy and it requires our full attention just like it did with jesus how does that reflect to our joy well rick our joy is founded in being invited to run see its basis is is in that invitation to follow him so once we position ourselves to run we now need to focus on the prize hebrews 12 chapter 2 chapter 12 verse 2 Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And Rick, our joy here is driven by Jesus' real life example. Okay, so it's founded, our joy is founded in being invited to run, to follow him, and it's driven by what he actually did, by what he was willing to endure. He did what he did for all of humanity. During our everyday, we need constant reminders of what Jesus means to us. And that brings us to verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Rick, our joy is fed by the power of Jesus overcoming the world. So it's founded in being invited, it's driven by his example, and it's fed by the power of his overcoming the world. We have got to rehearse this, 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 these vital pieces in our lives for our joy to truly, truly, truly be full. And that's really what it comes down to. Jesus showed us how to find and nurture his joy in our lives in John chapter 15, verses 7 through 11. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So it's interesting that Jesus, the night before he's crucified, is talking so much about joy. 
And he's saying, here's how you find joy. You abide in me. You li- that's where your address is. And if you let my words live in you, then you can find my joy. Love me as I have loved you. Abide in my love. You know, Jonathan, this is a, a recipe for successful Christian life in these few verses. Joy is so powerful, and it's a word we don't think of much in our Christian walk. And we need to. And again, it's not an emotion. It's a state of mind. So you can have joy while you're suffering through trials. You can have joy while you're in pain. You can have joy when life seems like it's falling apart. Jesus did. He had the joy of doing his Father's will. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's praying, and and it's such a a, a traumatic experience, and he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So the the key is fruit-bearing and staying close to what Jesus taught us. Jonathan, we have one final story. Um, This is going to take about three minutes. Um, This is a testimony. It's called The Gift, and it's about a young man whose name is Jonathan. It's not you, but it is the Jonathan who is our Lego guy. Yes. <laughs> and and you'll know what I mean if you go to our Facebook page uh, and see the, the Lego creations that Jonathan, I think he's 12, has made, you know, depicting you and I doing a broadcast. It's really kind of cool. <laughs> but, but here's a story that his mother shared with us, and we decided to, to, to put it here because it's, it's about the gift of Jesus. My 11-year-old son Jonathan loves building with Legos. He has a passion for building things that mean something to him. Last Christmas, he wanted to build a nativity scene himself. He did a beautiful job for his age. It had everything, including little baby Jesus and even the gifts that the Magi had brought for him. One day, little Sarah, who had just turned four, came to visit. Generally, they have a great time together as Jonathan is becoming more and more understanding with little ones. However, he's still a bit uneasy when kids that are visiting take the liberty of moving some of his toys around. You see, he's an only child, accustomed to finding his things where he had left them. I was congratulating myself for a good day with the two kids. Sarah's mother was at work. When I heard the dreaded call, Mom! Mom! Come here fast! I went as fast as I could, knowing that Jonathan could get very frustrated at times, especially if his projects get ruined. I found both kids in front of the nativity scene. Jonathan excitedly pointed to it and said loudly, Mom! Mom! Look what Sarah did! She took baby Jesus and put him into the gift box! I sighed, getting ready to dive into a long explanation. Jonathan, you know very well she's little. You need to understand. But he interrupted me. No, it's not that. I'm not mad. Listen to what she said. Then he proceeded to tell me how he had found little Sarah closing the cover on the gift box after putting baby Jesus inside. So he asked her gently, Sarah, why did you take baby Jesus from the manger and put him into the gift box? She looked up at him, a bit surprised at the question, and then declared with no hesitation, because he is the gift. I gasped, not only relieved, but amazed at the two kids, while, without losing momentum, Jonathan continued just as animated. I asked her for whom was the gift, and she answered promptly, for everyone, of course. What beautiful statements from the mouth of a four-year-old. And what great judgment from Jonathan's part to call me over and share with me this moving interaction between them. Mom, Mom, do you see how beautiful her thinking is? I heard Jonathan say next. Do you realize that she understands that he is the gift? I was speechless for a moment at the scene that was unfolding in front of me. And then I felt my heart melting with joy. 
Firstly, seeing that little Sarah understood the meaning of Christmas more than many adults do. And secondly, realizing that Jonathan appreciated just as much when others grasped the deep meaning of Jesus' sacrifice. I stood there in awe, thinking at the many hours that we, as parents, spend on teaching our children the right things while, the entire time, we wonder if our kids do learn something. And they do. Little Sarah was proof that she grasped the beautiful concept that is the base for the teaching of the Bible on Jesus' sacrifice as a ransom for all. How wonderful would it be if all, great and small, would understand and appreciate this beautiful lesson and full-heartedly celebrate, year after year, the true reason for the season. Now that's a cool story. The best. <laughs> you know, it, the, the idea that... And, and here's part of the joy. We can pass on to our children the true joy of Christmas and what it really means and plant that seed in their hearts and nurture it so it can grow and you never know. You just never know where it will bring us. So, Jonathan, we need to begin to wrap this whole big story up. And knowing God's plan provokes our joy. It provokes us to joy. And joy is not an emotion. It's a state of being. It's a state of mind. Here's a real-life prophecy that has actually already begun to be fulfilled. Now, talk about a reason to have joy. The first part of this prophecy is actually in process. We're going to be looking at, very quickly, Jeremiah 33, verses 7 through 11. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and will rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me and by which they have transgressed against me. So we have this prophecy talking about restoring the fortunes of Judah and Israel, the two-tribe the two kingdom and the ten-tribe kingdom being restored. We have seen this already beginning. Israel's back in the land of Israel. When it was written, it was not so. So, that, folks, look, that's a reason for joy, because that's exciting, that's begun. This next part of the prophecy is yet to come. Though if people would just abandon their prejudices, they could begin to see parts of it right here and now. Verses 9 and 10 of Jeremiah 33. It will be to me a name of joy, praise, and glory before all the nations of the earth, which will hear of all that good that I do for them, that they will fear and tremble because of all the good and all the peace that I make for it. Thus says the Lord, Yet again, there will be heard in this place of which you say, it is a waste without man and without beast. That is, the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without men and without inhabitants and without beasts. So in the prophecy, it's saying, it will be to me a name of joy and praise before all nations of the earth as to what I do with and for my people Israel. And, and it gives you this sense of incredible accomplishment that's coming. Folks, this is a prophecy that is in the process of unfolding. We're not seeing a lot of it yet, but they're there, and it's no longer desolate as it was. And Jonathan, the joyful conclusion of this prophecy is in verse 11 of Jeremiah 33. The voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who say, give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And of those who 
bring a thank offering into the house of the Lord, for I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were at first, says the Lord. So now prophetically you look at this and you hear the voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. And Jonathan, when we think of those things, the bridegroom and the bride, what is that talking about? Oh, talking about Jesus and the faithful followers of of Jesus, the bride of Christ. So when you have that that full faithfulness of, of the true church, united with Jesus, saying, give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And it comes first through the nation of Israel. So folks, you see a prophecy like this. And this is one of many, many prophecies in Scripture. And what they do is they tell us that we have the ability to understand God's plan, how it unfolds, and the incredible, wonderful, passionate, life-changing joy that we can develop if we would just hold on to it and act on it the way that those we talked about today did in their lives surrounding the birth of Jesus. Folks, joy is a choice. It's a choice of a state of mind. Choose the joy of Christ. Let it show. Let others see your joy and let it be contagious so they see there's something different about you because you stand for something bigger. At this Christmas season, let the joy of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus be your driving force. For Jonathan Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. Joy is yours for the taking. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, in Google Play, in Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And coming up next week, we'll also be podcasting Sunday evening next week because of the holiday. Next week, our title, Can You Ever Get Too Comfortable? You know the answer to that. We'll talk to you then.